This is Paul from Pod Clubhouse. And this is Kat from Shuffle Online. And tonight, you, dear listener, have the privilege of listening to us talk about Snowpiercer Episode 2. This one was called Prepare to Brace. There was a lot of bracing. (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer Connelly's character, Melanie, definitely said just brace a lot of throughout the whole episode. So that was a perfect title. It was the watchword of the episode was brace. Yes. Drink every time you hear brace. (laughs) It didn't quite grab me like the first one did. And, and, you know, it was like a you must watch the next episode sort of sort of thing. But it did accomplish a couple of things. It put the train in peril and it gave us a little background on Andre and Zara. So that that was that was some good stuff. Is there anything that stands out to you about this episode? It was interesting to see their backstory because I know we talked about that in the first episode so and we got it. <laughs> yeah. And then we also learned a little bit more about the dealings on the train and the interactions between classes and also um, that there's more going on, which we suspected was happening. So Exactly. Last week, we had a, a question on what I call the network building. There's a moment when Andre says something prior to the revolution about needing to develop their networks, et cetera, et cetera. And my question was like, what in the heck are they talking about? Because it doesn't look like they go anywhere. And this week we got the answer that they are occasionally allowed to come up train, as they call it, to do shit work that no one else wants to do in that part of the train. That's actually a good indicator that this show is going to hopefully ask questions and answer them, which is nice. I feel like we did get a lot of answers, which I thought we weren't going to get till later on. That was good because I was like, oh, okay, there's more to come. It's not just going to be this long, drawn out, what's going on kind of thing. And they are going to give us some meat. <laughs> Hopefully not some of the arm meat. That was, right. You know. was, that, was that a pun? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but in... in that was something that was answered uh, from our first episode of The Mom. So Josie is, uh, they call it Tail Mom. <laughs> yeah. Because Miles gets chosen. Uh, that's another thing that was revealed. Like, they get chosen to go to apprenticeship. Still don't know. It seemed a little sketchy. But in the beginning, Josie, I think, is narrating. And she says, we refuse to die, persistent as the cold, in reference to the tail section. Because that was my thing. Is like, why don't they just let these people die? But it makes sense that we learn that they're doing the, the work that nobody wants to do. It's kind of answers like, why don't you just kill off these people? They're such dead weight that you keep mentioning all the time. Yeah, um, right. But yeah, that's there's a reason to why they've kept them alive. So the show opens with the taking of a significant arm. I was wrong about which arm that they took. Were you surprised that they picked a kid? Yeah, but I also thought that was a good way to really show us that this show is not going to play, you know, not going to be soft. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that because, you know, after watching Westworld and Game of Thrones and all that, I'm like, I need, (laughs) you can't can't be uh, timid in, in what you're trying to do, especially 
uh, with a property like Snowpiercer that we've seen from the film that, you know, it's it's pretty no holds barred. I, I would be very surprised if they tried to make it a little soft for TV. So I like that they were going to go through with that. <laughs> I mean, I don't like <laughs> that the kid was going to get, you know, his arm chopped off, but I like the decision that, hey, they are brutal on the train. And I think it just shows what kind of world they're living in on, on that train. It was surprising, but it was also fun for me as a viewer, because I think that shows a lot of what they're going to do and the choices that they're going to make. Now, if you are a listener and have not watched the movie, you should know that this is another little tidbit that they took from the movie. There was a man that they took their arm from. That was something that I had seen from the movie. On my notes here, when the mom stepped in, and this is funny because this is the first of two Hunger Games references that I that I put on my notes. I said she she tries to Katniss for her for her daughter. She winds up getting her arm taken. The the sequence with the sledgehammer and the removal of the arm, man, doesn't it seem like you'd want a, a cleaner <laughs> <laughs> instrument than a sledgehammer to take care of that. I was like, that doesn't seem very efficient. Like, you have to pick up all those pieces. Right, right. I mean, it's dramatic, sure. Yeah, and maybe it's just another way to hold them down and be like, you're going to get your arm frozen from outside, and then you're going to get sledgehammer where you're going to be able to see your arm all over the floor. So maybe it's more for like honing it in, like don't fuck up guys. Right. That shit's going to thaw at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they got to eat. So maybe they'll eat some of them. Well, it was cleared up a little later in this episode. Do you believe the tale that he said about the cannibalism or do you think he was saying that for a fact? It sounded like the way his tone was that he was kind of playing it up a little like that. That's not a myth, you know, and and I was like, oh, that sounds like you're saying it is a myth. Both options are likely. You know, one option is that they did have to resort to cannibalism. You get the idea when they close off the tail section in the first episode that the upper classes just wanted to ignore the tail, you know, just be like, well, they didn't have tickets, so uh, fuck them, basically. So you could kind of believe that they didn't send any food back for a while until some decision came along. Okay, fine. We got to feed these people their protein bars and that'll be fine. But then it also seems likely that that he could have been wanting them to think that they had to resort to cannibalism just to make it sound like you really don't want to piss the tail off any more than you and then you have. So that's kind of how I I saw it. I mean, both could be true, but it also went both ways for me. It could be where maybe they didn't kill somebody, maybe they were dying, and they ate it, they ate them. Just right. For that's a, that's a bit from the movie, right? People would yeah. would uh, volunteer body parts right yeah i think so that's why people are kind of like limbless and um, Mm -hmm. which is so disturbing (laughs) like in terms of like people having to cut their arms off for for food and all that but that's what you got to do especially with the kids on board i'm sure you would feel bad if if that was your kid and you you would do what you got to do but there's also some of that going on that we learn of in this episode is in the third class they find the limbs and and they've been putting that in the soups so mm-hmm. people have unknowingly been eating legs and arms too, and obviously not knowing the difference. <laughs> <laughs> in the first episode, in this episode, there's so much uh, uneasiness at, I would call them like the office management, Melanie and the other folks. And they're like, yeah, the, like shit's hitting the fan You can with Snowpiercer in terms of, you know, like when they're going through the avalanche and mm-hmm. they're, go- you know, repairs and all this stuff. And then like having to stop the crops and all that. And so their shit is going down and it wouldn't, be surprising that they would also resort to that if they had to. 
they have the tailies if they needed to do that and just like fool people. <laughs> right. Maybe that's like a long, uh, long con for them is that they want to keep them alive just in case the, the beef car goes down. They probably realize too, like maybe the first few weeks they're like, oh, maybe we shouldn't kill them because we don't want to do this shit work. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Those toilets aren't going to scrub themselves, are they? Yeah. They're like, oh, they can, they can stay. <laughs> All right. So we got a moment with Melanie. Did you see the part where it looked like a picture of her with a kid? Oh, I didn't. Was that when she was in her in the office in the beginning? Yeah, well, in her personal quarters. But yeah, I, maybe it was the office. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, at the beginning, there's a, I think there's a black and white picture of her and holding a kid. And there's no kid there now that we know about. Yeah, no. Melanie was really interesting in this episode, played by Jennifer Connelly, who I still love. <laughs> um <laughs> We learned in the last episode that she is Wayland. Wilford. Wilford, sorry. Wayland. I was watching Alien the other, this weekend. You must have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Alien versus Predator. I was like, Wayland, Wilford, they're all the same. So Wilford, throughout this whole episode, it was another kind of watchword of like brace. It was, she kept, they kept saying, Wilford wants you to do this and Wilford wants oh, yeah. you to do that. And it was, it's funny knowing, I love that they did that reveal because we know that she's the one doing it. And she kind of has... A little bit of a breakdown at the end of the episode where she's like, mm-hmm. Wolford, Wolford is, is a, you know, does this for 24-7, you know, and it was just like basically her, like she is manning this train to keep the heat on. And that's what she says. And it's really interesting. We saw her break a little in this episode because in the first one, she was very cool, calm and collected. And this one, you saw the cracks of the pressure. Like the question I have is, who is Melanie? You know, and I hope we get answers to it because it's like, how did she become this person who is in charge of, you know, 3,000 people on Snowpiercer? And why do you d- keep doing it? You know, what motivates her? That is a terrific question that was probably on Andre's mind also. That's a question that Andre asks uh, Miss Audrey when he's questioning her about Nikki. That just seemed very out of out of sequence. Do you recall that? When, when she says something to the effect of, did you know Melanie Cavill and what was her role back then or something like that? It was like, how did that matter right for, for what we're talking about? Yeah, I think this episode was really cool, too, because there was a lot more detective work, like right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You could tell that Andre was asking specific questions that, yeah, you're right. It didn't seem relevant to the person that he was asking or like to the situation, but he is just like kind of digging deeper and, and kind of doing his own side investigation, it seems, because this is his opportunity to do so. That was interesting. And we find out at the end of the episode, too, that, I mean, it paid off because he found the real intention. He still doesn't know that she's Wolford. That's going to be played out throughout the season. But we find out that he's basically a really good detective because he's asking all the right questions. A lot of little t- new tidbits for him. Yeah, we also got another new character at the beginning of this episode, Mrs. Folger. She's part of the first class group that just kind of sits around and bitches about trivial things. Um, (laughs) And we learned that she's a lawyer. Yes. Uh, I think she is going to be trouble for Melanie at some point. I mean, there's there's a point where the bitching is going to move into actually trying to do something, I think. And that's going to cause trouble for Melanie. It's funny that like Melanie plays this hostess role as well. Yeah, right. In addition to being Wilford and managing the whole Snowpiercer, like she has to come in and, and like greet people. And I find that so interesting because we didn't have that in the in the film so much. Um, it's very separated, I, I, th- I believe, if I'm recalling. Um, so this is a new dynamic of 
like she's head honcho, but she's also coming and like having to deal with these people who are complaining and then dealing with this lady. And then there's like the serial murders going on and there's just like a bunch of shit. And then we know there's shit going on in terms of <laughs> the food supply and all that. And dealing with someone like Miss Mrs. Folger is just like, ugh. it, it makes sense why Melody broke a little at the end. <laughs> She's like, yeah. do you know how much I'm doing and dealing with? I was like, I get you, girl. Well, like at the beginning when she goes up into the cab of the of the train and, and she's there with the other engineers, we had a question last week about who else knows about this Wilford ruse. It sounds like the answer is those guys. Because there's a moment where one of them says, how long can she keep it up? And by it, I think they mean like b- basically being a double person, you know, the Wilford and Melanie, the hospitality person. Did you catch that moment? Yeah, I actually wrote that down. I think his name is Javi, another engineer, and, and he, he was basically warning her about... The speed the sp- and all yeah. that. Yeah. I guess it, it could be in reference to keeping up uh, the appearances with Wilford, but also just being able to manage everything because she she's the one that makes the choices on whether to slow down, you know, what to do in those situations. And I just thought like, because he was telling her, you should be doing this. And she's like, no, we got to do this. When he said that line, I thought it was in reference to like, how are we going to get through this? You know, how long can she keep us going by making these choices that seem like they're not the right one? Also a good interpretation. Very ambiguous what they meant by it. That's why they use the word it. <laughs> yeah. Right? right. The whole issue of the speed I think I know the answer, but I'm not sure. We don't know what powers this train. Ordinary trains run on diesel, and this train is meant to run forever. So it <laughs> can't use diesel, right? So yeah. I'm kind of assuming maybe something atomic, you know, something something like that. Yeah, but there was another key word if you were drinking, <laughs> if you were drink, drinking for this episode would be a speed because it yeah. was mentioned throughout the episode. We can't speed up. We can't slow down. We can't do all of this, uh, mostly slow downs. It seems like speed is a very big deal on Snowpiercer. Do you have a hybrid or access to a hybrid car? I have driven one, yeah. All right. On hybrid vehicles, there is a feature that takes advantage of the energy built up when you brake, when you use the brakes, right? Or when you let off the accelerator. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? Did you notice that when you're driving it? I don't, but it was really a really smooth ride. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it does that. And so do uh, Teslas, I think. The idea is that it can take advantage of that energy that's being created to, um, when you when you do those things, like use the brakes or slow down or whatever, and it refills the battery that the car is using to make you go. And I'm pretty sure that the train is using something like that. And if they get below a certain speed, then they're not producing enough, you know, electricity or whatever to do things like keep the heaters on and that and that stuff. So it's not it's not just like they can't stop moving for some science fiction reason. I think it's because it because it very much has something to do with, you know, onboard generators and stuff that are driven by the speed of the train. It, it would make sense to make a feature like that because you're going to be on the track forever, supposedly. Right. <laughs> and so you would want to harness that that energy that's being created while you're while you're moving. So, yeah, that makes sense. And if you slow down, it's going to just mess up the whole system, which is also I guess they wouldn't account for if they thought it was going to be going forever. Well, there was that moment, <laughs> the coroner said something like she signed up for a year on the train and then she found out that it was going to last forever. Did that mean that that they really only expected the cold snap to last a little bit <laughs> and then everything would be okay again? Like, did you catch that moment? 
Yeah, it was it was because she's she wasn't even a coroner. She was like, I just took this assignment and and right. That's what she said. She she hadn't done an autopsy before. Is yeah. what she had said. Yeah, she was. Uh, what was she like? Some sort of naval medical person. I'm not. I don't remember exactly because she seemed more like a quirky character that we may not. Yeah. <laughs> run into a lot more after this. Why are always the coroners like the quirkiest characters? I'm like, is this real life or? <laughs> We bought this house that I'm in currently from a coroner, like a medical examiner and stuff. And we only met the dude once or twice. And we live in the house that he maintained uh, prior to us buying it. And I can tell you, yes, I think they are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I just wanted to know whether it's like a stereotype someone made up and it just kept going or if it's true. Right. I mean, if, you're, if your day in and day out is dealing with the dead, I don't know if like you share a common kind of charisma with the rest of us. <laughs> true. Yeah, I, w- I would think that you would have to be kind of a, a certain disposition. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, that makes sense because she's like, I thought I could get off this and then it's been forever. So that would make sense for the fact that they didn't account for all the supplies and, and the food production and all those issues that we hear Melanie talking about because maybe it wasn't meant to go forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that kind of suggested that. That would mean... That if it wasn't designed for run f- to run forever and they are making it run forever, then you're going to start to see the problems that they're having because it wasn't meant to go that long. And it get- then it gets worse, obviously, with an avalanche cracking the train like they said it did. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was so scary. I was like, I would not be able to do that. <laughs> Brace. Like, yeah, just give me some give me some medicine. Speaking of bracing, one prediction that we had from last week or that I had from last week was that we would see Nikki in this episode. And although we saw Nikki, it turns out staying in stasis that long, we're not built for it. (laughs) So she's having some trouble coming out of it. I liked that they didn't let that just be a quick thing because in a lot of movies and stuff dealing with like cryo and 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 that kind of stasis thing it's always kind of a snapback like yeah they'll throw up or they'll do something but it's very quick Mm -hmm. and so i thought it was interesting that they actually played it out for another they they did the whole episode um in reference to that like oh she's having trouble she might have some damage like that kind of thing and are waiting to to reveal her so I, I liked that that little storyline of hey it does it doesn't it's not a quick snapback of being in stasis for two years and then like you'll you'll just come back from it like the fact that they're putting prisoners in that kind of state is actually a very it's a punishment it's not like oh you're gonna be frozen and you'll come back you know later on it's it's actually a punishment because it's gonna be hard when you wake if they wake you up ever again that was part of like of altered carbon that I thought thought was like. Well, that doesn't seem so bad. I mean, they, yeah, I mean, they, they're kind of used to this life anyway. And then they just find out that they were woken up like 500 years later. And then, I don't know, uh, that just didn't seem like so much of a punishment because they didn't really go through anything. You know, they just woke yeah, up. Yeah, there was, yeah, there was no consequences. So this one, it's nice that there's actually some sort of consequence to being put to sleep or put in stasis. And the severity of that is actually... A real thing and it's because when they kept referring to it in the first episode of oh are we going to bring her back and it, they were like making this whole thing i was like oh isn't it just another cryo we're going to bring her back thing that we've seen that's what in, i thought in, in countless content and then when it wasn't i was like oh you guys are actually making this more in depth and i appreciate that as a sci-fi fan right part of that goes back to something you were saying about melanie cracking this episode during one of the discussions of what the creepy 
drawer doctor was going to do to try to work with Nikki and blah, blah, blah. She, she was part of that conversation and then just sort of like zoned out and wandered away. Um, which in my mind created some, some questions about like, what is, what is her true involvement with this Nikki business? Was Nikki, um, it's starting to sound like Nikki was framed to, and, and just put in the drawers cause there's no judge and jury on the train. They just did it. It's starting to look to me like she could live with the idea of putting her in the drawers cause she thought that she could get her out at some point and, and, and she'd be okay. But now that it's looking like she might be hurt or, you know, permanently, uh, disabled in some way because of her time in the drawers, that seemed to affect her. Could could you think of any other reasons why she might have had that breakdown at that moment? Yeah, it, it it seems a little bit odd because why does she have so much like that much of a reaction to Nikki if she's just because she's another, been a pretty cold um, operator for the rest of this, right? Yeah, and it, it, when it comes to this Nikki and waking her up business, it's it's it shakes her a little. Like you can see that, like oh, like so. I don't know whether it's she wants her to wake up or is it like she's like oh something is gonna happen. Like who is Nikki? Like that it has so much pull over her. So I wonder what that whole thing is about. And also, um, Bess tells Andre like uh, Nikki was guilty right out of the gate. You know, like it was basically she said it was there was no none of this investigation that they're doing now. Mm -hmm. So it, it is very much like it feel it feels like they just found Nikki and pinned it on her. And then that was it. Or it could be Nikki knows way more. Like, that's a question I have for the future episode. You know? like, yes. Like whether it's this show that Melanie is putting on of, oh, yeah, we're going to wake her up or does she really want her awake? I don't know. I just can't I can't tell in in this sense because her reaction to it doesn't seem very like black and white when it should be if she's like oh let's just wake her up we're gonna get some answers but she's very visibly shaken like you mentioned so it's odd well eventually uh andre and bess make their way to the night car where we had us had uh assumptions about what went on in the night car and we might be not totally wrong but not totally right either it looked more like a nightclub and this is where they met miss audrey and the reason she's important is that she apparently is the one that found Nikki, I guess, right after um, the first murder. Does that sound right? Or am I making that up? Yeah, I think that sounds right. But it doesn't sound like she has, she actually thinks Nikki did it. It sounded more like she felt like Nikki's whole thing was a miscarriage of, of justice. Does, does that also sound like what you heard? She was speaking kind of ambiguously the way she was describing things. It was another layer of like, what what is really going on here? Andre obviously has picked up on that. Well, side note though, what did you think of that whole performance? They lingered on that pretty pretty long. I thought that was pretty kind of cool. They sure did. Like whole... <laughs> and it was very stylized. I mean, she was wearing like a tuxedo uh, mm -hmm. and what was it? Uh, face, what would you call that kind of makeup? Like glitter. Yeah, yeah, but it was like rhinestones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Kind of showgirly, kind of cabaret-y, you know, something like that. It was moving the the passengers to tears in some cases. Uh, we saw one guy at least crying. We can assume it was from the performance. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but when she when she takes uh, Andre back and she makes it a point to have Bess like, oh, you can't come in. And then that's when Andre's like, oh, what are you going to tell me? <laughs> yeah. And there was like more to it going on. And then we learned that uh, 
she um, has uh, Zara ex-girlfriend meet up with Andre and then she's like oh you gotta you gotta walk in Nikki's shoes to like understand her so I thought they were gonna go on like a drug kind of trip which I guess they kind of they kind of did it was a very odd like I still I, I don't know if you if you um fully got what it was going for but I because I, it started it didn't really answer any questions of like what Nikki went through it was more Andre's experience so I wonder if that drug is kind of just tailored to the person's experience and it ended like with him and uh, Zara hooking up and I was like what is going like how did this even um that didn't really match for me I don't know if you got more out of it in terms of the Nikki plot but for me I was like this just seems like an excuse to have a love scene right now (laughs) it did feel like that in terms of spicing things up with with that and adding kind of some texture to their relationship and maybe even adding a little will they won't they aspect to um their future together because they don't seem done with each other um, just yet. However, uh, did you pick up in the first episode when we first met Zara that she and Sean were together? Did you get that? Because I didn't. Well, I think he made a reference. Andre made a reference to that when he's like, oh, you moved on. And then she she basically alluded that it was um, it was just for survival or, or for that's the way she got out to be there or something like that and then we learned in this episode that yeah it was it was basically sean got a baby approval like yeah. to make a baby and that's where zara came in and thought she was gonna have a baby with sean so yeah that was interesting right because then andre keeps like asking this question he did in the first one of uh do you love him and it's like no this is snow piercer that's what she says right yeah <laughs> you can tell like he has lingering feelings they're not done obviously they just had this moment I don't know if I like necessarily the way it's been unpacked. It, seem, it seems like there's not a lot of finesse with their storyline, but no. it, you know, it's not perfect because I feel like a little, it's a little jilted. All it took was a little faux meditation and, and he was ready to go. And it seems like he would have had, I can, I can honestly say as a, as a, even as a guy he, and with the opportunity of sex just arising like that, given their history, that's not necessarily an, an automatic, you know, he, he very realistically could have had lingering like, no, I don't want to have sex with you kind of kind of feelings based on what he thought of as her betrayal. Yeah, I feel like it diminished a little bit of Andre's care. I mean, I get it. He's he probably hasn't. Uh, well, we don't know if he's uh, with um, Josie, you know, like if yeah. they've done it in back in the in the, in the Taylor section. <laughs> is, that, is that a... <laughs> A little. <laughs> that sounds like you're implying backdoor action, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. Oh, I mean, you never know. <laughs> no kids. Yeah, it it just seems like such such a like for himself as a character. Like in the first episode, he was like, "Oh, how could you do that to me?" I would have liked for it to linger a little bit longer, like a few more episodes, and then of course, if they're exes, they're gonna have that chemistry. But it seemed very odd that like he would just hook up with her in the second episode after he had those like well, how could you do this and there's obviously history of her leaving mm-hmm. and it not being a good break and so i didn't like that for his character because i feel like it kind of cheapened that aspect of him it felt fast even in that situation it just felt fast <laughs> a fancy room some sitting there breathing in and out and focusing on that old memory and all that it, I don't know, they could have brought into sharper focus the fact that she took off, uh, even though they had that history together. This was more reminiscent of, like, the cable TV, like, you know, like the TNT (laughs) storyline. 
I was like, oh, okay, it's not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay with it, but it, it's like, okay, we had to throw it in there. Like you're not all finesse. <laughs> and then at the very end, she drops a little bit of extra knowledge in there that she could have shared up front. The part that, that Sean was some sort of informant and he was getting perks such as the baby lottery and other stuff. To me, that just feels like she what she knew like two things about this this uh, investigation. She shared one last week and one this week. What are the chances that she's like out of knowledge at this point? <laughs> yeah, and it's very weird. She's a suspect. Like why? And she's the one that told Melanie. For all we know, that Andre was a detective. Yeah. And so it seems weird that she wouldn't spill everything, given their history to the person that could clear her. I'm still sticking with my theory from the first episode of like something's going on. I feel like it's sort of a setup, but maybe I'm just completely off base. But it does seem odd that she chose to withhold that information till the very end after getting action. (laughs) And and something that could like help clear her name. You know, like it just seems very like what what's your game, Zara? (laughs) Yeah. What's your end game here? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think she's going to I think she's going to drop more knowledge on him as she goes and I think it's just going to help maybe I think it's going to help define her as as probably being implicated somehow in this. However, the actual murder is very grisly, very um like in all the um horrible movies I've ever seen about chopping people up, I've never seen where a woman does it. It always seems yeah. to be the way a man serial killer would approach. So that'd be kind of a new twist. <laughs> if, <laughs> you know, if it was a woman that chopped somebody up, have you ever seen any, anything like that with, with a woman? Just, just kind of like a side note. I can't remember off the top of my head, but maybe we can bring that back in the episode three and I'll do some research. Cause I feel like maybe there has to be something, but if there isn't, this is a perfect place to, <laughs> yeah. to break that trope. It's new territory. <laughs> yeah. Cause, uh, I'm, all, I'm all for uh, equality in all, in all, all right. um, you, you want representation. Representation among serial killers, of course. Yeah. It's a very important <laughs> demographic to, to, to address. <laughs> um, the, they have a little logical discussion that leads them to the, I guess they call it the cattle car, for lack of any original <laughs> kind of naming. The moment when the guy wouldn't let them inside, did you think that there was something to hide or do you think that guy was just following procedure? It seemed odd that he wouldn't let them in because... Brakeman had the run of the joint, right? Yeah, and Bess is, I would think she has high authority. So why wouldn't you let an officer or whatever um, into that? Like, it just seemed very odd, like they wanted to hide something. Um, And they were like, oh, you got to get this order. It's like, "Mm," like, I don't know about that. So it just seems sketch from the, from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wouldn't expect that from the cattle car to be so on point of like policies. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I thought, I thought that there was something hidden there. I mean, obviously we found out that there was something hidden. Did, did it need to be this guy or were they all in on it or what kind of gets asked since they found body parts in their, in their ventilation system? Yeah, but it could also be Andre rolls that guy out, I think, right? He's like, oh, it's not him. It, it's something, somebody else. Mm-hmm. So it's just a person that has access. It's interesting that they can't. As we go through these, I wonder if it's going to continue being 
um, kind of this detective serial story throughout the series or it'll change up the format because this one was very much felt like it could be like take out Snowpiercer and put them in Chicago or something you know like, <laughs> right. it, it was very it was very uh, serialized in that sense of like a detective serial so it, it was funny to kind of have that in this setting. I wonder if any of the guys that were in with the cattle that died, um, if they will have been important. I would imagine not, because that'd be kind of a cheat. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, it was one of those two guys. He was the killer. But the next guy that we do meet is new this episode. His name was, it sounded like he was Russian. Boskovich is what he said his name was. <laughs> Interesting guy. So they have to fix the train and they have to do it while they're still in motion. Isn't that interesting? In the in the first two episodes, it's really been honed into us that, you know, there's the peril of the avalanche or the snowstorms coming. And then there's, um, you know, the maintenance. And then with this, like the fact that they have to do maintenance while it's moving, it's just another element of constant peril, which I like. It just adds more tension High to stakes. the episodes. Yeah. yeah. And so I like that it's not easy because besides the whole plot of the serial killer, it's just the environment that they're in adds to another element to it, which I think makes it more exciting. He was quite a character, though. He sat there while Melanie and the other engineer came in after inspecting the, the damage. And he sat there without his full suit on and let the cold get to him a little bit. That's sort of a peculiar, <laughs> you know, way to way to do it. Because that, that killed those people in moments when the windows broke. I don't know what to make of it myself. Uh, Even if he's a badass and like, I'm tough. Physically, though, the fact that the cold is so piercing, like 117 degrees below zero, it seems like it should have affected him. Well, yeah, and he, and he had, I mean, he frosted up right away and all that. I wonder about this guy. He's on my radar as at least an interesting guy that I want to see some more of. I don't know that he's involved with the crime at all. He's uh, one of the most interesting guys we've met so far, just based on his one exchange with, with Melanie and, and, and his weird way of dealing with the cold. Maybe is are you thinking like genetic engineering or do you think he's like built differently or Well no. I think he's Russian and the and Rush and <laughs> Russians you know, they're bred for the cold is 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 part of it, you know. It's they where they live, it is cold all the time. It's not hundred and seventeen degrees below, you know, zero Celsius, but it is pretty cold. So that's my guess. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I kind of took it as that. I didn't think too much into it. Um, I was just thinking that he was a badass dude that oh, like the even the cold doesn't get to him. And he's just like a lot of muscle and brute strength. <laughs> right. And just just being used to it. Yeah. Yeah. The whole deal with the lady who had her arm taken off. Did you catch her name? I only caught the daughter's name. They called her Winnipeg. Winnie, right? Because uh, she's listed as Winnie. Winnie's the girl. It doesn't seem like mom's going to make it myself. I mean, it just seems like she's in pretty rough shape. I, I think that was so brutal. Of <laughs> that, that frozen arm was very visceral. <laughs> yeah. And her son takes steps to ease her pain. Mm -hmm. Yes. We got some action this episode, and then we got some hallway blowjobs also. <laughs> so to kind of give us an idea of what they're going to show us in, in this show. Yeah, it's really establishing like what this role is about and blowjobs in the corner for <laughs> for drugs. And uh, between, it's interesting, though, that the Tailies and the officer guy, the it was that was the football player, right? Yes. So yeah. um, footy. 
so there is also that kind of relationship. You know, you were mentioning the networks. And so there is some sort of interactions that have been going on. If I don't think that was the first one, you know, <laughs> of uh, Taylor coming and doing stuff to get something for the people. It, so, it seems like an established economy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's another interesting dynamic of learning more about what's been going on on the train. Did you get the idea that those drugs were to ease her pain or to put her out of her misery? The footy guy, which I don't remember his name, but he says it'll ease her pain, but it'll also take care of everything else. It could be something very severe, like it'll just make her go into maybe um, a state where she just doesn't feel anything. Mm. I don't know. I, I didn't think it would be death, but the fact that he like made that specific mention of it, it'll, it'll cure anything, you know, like, mm -hmm. so does that mean like you're just going to be kind of a, a, a zombie or you just, or maybe you'll just like float on to the afterworld. So I guess we'll see, but she definitely needed it because it looked horrible. <laughs> Another aspect of this that we have mentioned previously in this podcast is the part where they're collecting children to bring them forward, whether or not that is a true intention or not, unless apprenticeship actually means chop them up for food. That was something that she directed Ruth to go and do. Would you be able to send your kid forward? The hope is that you they are leaving to go do this apprenticeship. Yeah. And yeah, I think I would because it, it seems like maybe they would have a better life. But I don't know. Given the world, who knows what they're doing with those kids? So do you keep them <laughs> right. to yourself or um, do you try to give them a little bit of hope and hope for the best? What would you do? Man, it's, it's a tough call. I mean, my gut says that I would send them forward to their better life. But then my little voice in my head says, it's better to pick the devil you know. <laughs> yeah. Right? And you don't know anything about what happens beyond those doors. Yeah, especially if... The, the way they've been treated is any indication of what these people are capable of. You're kind of trusting that they're going to take care of your kids when they just almost sacrificed a kid's arm at the beginning of this episode. And then they're like, oh, apprenticeship, we're going to give you a better life. Like right. that, that, all, that would bring into question whether I do trust their intentions. <laughs> right, right. The last bit to talk about is Andre and his attempt to get information to the tale. Did not like this at all. <laughs> Which part? Um, I, <laughs> there were a couple, so, right? Uh, uh, yeah. So, at first, like, I think Andre in this episode is just like, I hope they redeem him in, in, in episode three. Because for him being so smart, supposedly, and doing his detective work, which he is, he's very perceptive. It seemed very odd that he would try to make an escape when he has no idea how to really get to the... Like, he drew out this thing on a t-shirt or whatever, a scrap of fabric of, I guess, what he's managed to remember about the different cars and how to get out. Or That's what mm -hmm. I kind of took from what he was drawing. And I was like, yep. wait, is he really going to do this in this episode? Like, it seemed very premature. And I was very shocked that he was going to try to escape or do something. And I was thinking, I'm hoping that it seemed like it was deliberate. Because I was like, you have no chance. Like, how... I would hope it was deliberate, but I don't think so. I think he was really trying to do that. <laughs> what do you think? Like, did he, you think he really had a chance? Like, he was thinking he had a chance to get out or get information? Well, personally, I've never been a part of a rebellion. So I don't know all the, all the ins and outs of how to transfer <laughs> information from kind of the inside to the outside. Like, do you remember in Battlestar Galactica, they had like a special place where Gata would put the information and then the chief would come and get it depending on whether or not something was moved or, or something like that. Do you remember that? Um, I don't, but that, that 
that's a good establishment of, uh, of of getting information. But like, I just in this one though, there was none of that. There's no system, right? He was just kind of hoping. Like, where was he going? That- my thing, and then he like instigated, "Hey, come and get me!" And it's like, so it, in that sense, it did feel like he wanted that to happen. I mean, he didn't want to get beaten up, but he wanted someone to grab his note, the strip of fabric that he'd put the map on. And no one was going to be able to get it because the guards were so close, so up their butts that if someone bent down, they would know why they were bending. They would say, what are you grabbing? What are you touching? So he had to cause a distraction. But I don't think that was plan A. I think he was hoping that the guards wouldn't have been so up their butts. That would have been my hope if I were him. Yeah, but between the whole Zara interaction and how easily he was manipulated <laughs> um, and then this ill-fated attempt at trying to get information i did not like his choices in this episode (laughs) but i did like um when him and melanie have that last interaction right he does get the last word in doesn't he yeah and that did redeem it a little bit because i was like okay that's what made me feel like i'm okay with whatever happened because you know what's up you know and melanie now knows that you're the real deal because she says that line where she's like you're very perceptive. No wonder Wilfred wants to keep you on. Or that's why, as right, a trained detective, right. and I was like, oh, like, because you could see it in her eyes when he does his whole speech of kind of revealing, like, what the real intention is of what he thinks is going on. And she's like, fuck, like, you know what's going on. <laughs> so, like, next episode, do we think that Melanie, now that it's kind of been found out that there's more to the story than she has told, do you think she's going to finally give him some tools that he can use to solve this thing? Or do you think she's just going to be like, well, that was very perceptive. See you next time. And then and then just head out. I still don't have enough information on Melanie's intentions to make a clear decision on that. But I would hope that my interpretation of what I hope was that last scene is that she was impressed by Andre and the fact that he is the real deal and the fact that she was like, oh, okay. Either if she has dirty secrets, she also has to be careful now because he's not just some Joe Schmo detective. Like, he actually is going to find out things. And so I think she's just going to tread lightly unless she is very intent on finding the serial killer. Like, I still don't know whether she's a good guy or a bad guy or what she is. So I don't know if she is putting on this whole ruse of detective finding a serial killer or if it's her. I've seen or read stories where the bad actor then hires the detective to make a good show of trying to sort out the murder, even though they're the ones that did the murder. You know what I mean? And this yeah. this kind of seems like that. But I would hope it's not just that because that would be too easy. It could also be that she hired him on to hide the other stuff that's going on. At the very beginning of the episode, she does make another key word is order, balance. You know, that's that's the whole thing of yeah. what's been able to keep her go, keep the train going. And the fact that she does break because people aren't appreciating like what she does in some ways, like she feels unappreciated as Wilford. Like people don't know she's Wilford, but she's doing so much in her mind. So it does seem kind of odd that she would put this whole play and like detective into motion if it was her killing. Because she's so intent on order, balance, all this stuff. But who yeah, knows? What were the three things in balance? It was like speed, breed, and need. Was that it? Yeah, yeah. I think I wrote it down. It was It was funny. I was like, are we going to do like a Tom Cruise high five after this? <laughs> <laughs> and, she's in, and she's in the new Top Gun, so. <laughs> That's interesting that breed is part of it. The class system 
it wasn't just like a side effect of where you bought your tickets, right? It was like built into the society that the train was going to make. Yeah. If if we're thinking that they were only going to be there for a year, why would they have built that into the system then? So mm-hmm. that's kind of another question of the time that they thought Snowpiercer was going to go on, that whole timeline of what was uh, with the real intent behind it. If continuing on, you know, like the whole reproductive mm-hmm. stuff is so big. So that's interesting. All right. So there's are some new questions this week from Andre, especially. It's starting to look like the real reason they want to find out about this murder is because they're afraid that he knew something, this Sean Weiss knew something, and told somebody this something before he died. Personally, it's got to be some secret about Melanie, right? Like maybe maybe he knew about the Wilford ruse and let somebody know that, and she's scared to let that out. That would make the most sense because if there was the other murders going on earlier and they didn't seek out a detective, it's only until she found that this guy died and could be telling secrets that she got so involved with it and wants to solve it. So that seems like a logical thing. Like It's more about not bringing justice, but making sure that her secret is held for the good of Snowpiercer in her mind. Yeah, the big deal would be finding this person who might have this information and then getting rid of him because you don't want that information out. Because if everyone finds out she's Wilford, then everything that she's ever said to them, it would they would basically mutiny. <laughs> yeah, it would break down. It definitely would break down because if the one thing that they have to go on is is that Mr. Wilford made this train <laughs> for them and every, and he's so smart that everything is perfect because of the way he designed it. And you find out, well, actually, he doesn't exist. <laughs> 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 you know, it would it'd be uh, crushing. Yeah. Well, do you have any parting thoughts uh, or predictions for next week? Even though I, I didn't like some parts of this episode in regards to Andre's character, I do think they did reveal a lot. They did some things that were surprising that I didn't think, like the escape thing, and they revealed a lot. So I'm excited to see what's going to happen in the third episode and uncover more of the layers of the train and, and, and the story behind Melanie. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just like, I, I actually am just excited to kind of watch the next episode. What about you? I had my predictions all wrong this week. So <laughs> the one thing that I'll stick by for next week is that I think the conditions on the train are going to get a lot worse before they get better. This idea of like the rationing and the limited food and the problems that are created by having a car that you can't go through without wearing one of those suits. I think that's going to create bigger problems and make things even worse for everybody than we've seen so far. And that might even start to get on the first class people's nerves in a way where they start (laughs) to act. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, I will make a prediction. Um, I think Nikki will finally will wake up in some sort of state. Okay. Because I would hope they wouldn't go another episode in the stasis thing. That'd be very so, soap opera, right? <laughs> yes. Like, I appreciate you doing some sci-fi lore on one episode with She Doesn't Come Out of It. But another one, you're pushing it. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's just a, a little bit of her. Because like, she's been so built up in these two episodes. If she's going to be a big part of the next episode, I think it's going to be maybe a majority of Nikki episode that is coming up. Well, she had a little bit of her brains in this one where she was saying something. She said night car, night car under her breath. 
but mm-hmm. we, we were already headed to the night car, but there must be something more there. That was the first thing that came to her mind when she had the least bit of consciousness back. If we're going through these different cars, we might have to go back to them in the future episodes. Like, and we might not be seeing everything. It's not like a one and done car detective kind of thing. Well, they bothered to build the set, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not free. All right. Well, then Kat and I will be back next week for the third episode of Snowpiercer. This has been Paul with Pod Clubhouse. And this is Kat with Shuffle Online. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.